Just to find your place in the book of Nahum, chapter 1. Nahum, chapter 1. And I'll be reading verses 1 down to verse number 7. Nahum, chapter 1, and verse number 1. The Bible says, The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkoshite. God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. <clears throat> the Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry, and dryeth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth, Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him, and the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you for your goodness towards us. And in providing this word, you give us what we need, whether it's comfort in time of disappointment and discouragement, whether it's direction when we're not sure where to turn, whether it's rebuke when we have abandoned your instructions. Lord, whatever it is, we know that your word is able to provide. Lord, I pray that you would use your word once again today to meet each and every need. And I pray that every heart will be receptive to what you have to say. Pray that you would use your word to draw some lost soul to you. And that every believer would be challenged, encouraged, and strengthened. Give me the word you'll have me to say for this time here today. Cleanse me of sin, empty me of self, fill me with the precious Holy Spirit. And may you receive all the honor and glory, for you alone are worthy of it. Take full control, have your divine way. May every decision be made that's in accordance with your word and pleasing to you. Thank you once again for what you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. There's a saying that it's when times are tough that you really find out who your friends are. I am not a big television watcher, but there are times where I watch these documentaries that chronicle the life of a person who was wrongly convicted. Unfortunately, with that individual, they happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And now they are facing charges for a horrific crime, whether it's murder, rape, theft. But this crime is one that they did not 
commit. But because of circumstantial evidence, because of the absence of all of the facts and the details, because of the presence of oftentimes secretive plots by individuals in high-profile positions and lying witnesses, it appears that someone who is completely innocent, that they are completely guilty. At times, these individuals have been intentionally framed. And with all that you see from the human eye, it seems as if that individual is guilty. And the only person who knows of their innocence is the individual themselves. And as I've watched these shows, I've often wondered, if I were to find myself in such a situation where the evidence seems to be stacked against me, and it looked like I was guilty, but really, I was innocent. I've wondered to myself, and I even wondered to my wife, how many people would say, I know that it looks like Pastor Wayne is guilty. I know it looks like all the evidence is stacked against him. But I believe Pastor Wayne's story. And what I know about him, I believe he is innocent. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but I've often wondered how many people would say that. Thank you, my dear wife. You've testified publicly, so if it happens, there will be many people to witness. But how many people would say, it's a long time I know he's a fraud. I'm not surprised. I don't believe he is innocent. The after all, the evidence proves that he is guilty. That's a situation I hope that I never ever have to find myself in to find out the answer. But I share this thought with you this morning as we look around at all that's happening in our world. The trials, the tribulations, the heartache, the chaos that exists, and the levels of skepticism and pessimism, I submit to you that they are escalating about God. Many are questioning, is there a God? What kind of God is he? Has he forgotten about us? Literally, the character of God is under attack and in question by many. But these times in which we live with all of these questions against the character of God, it is not unlike in the time of the prophet Nahum. In this short book in the word of God, known as the minor prophets, Nahum was, is considered a minor prophet. But I want us to understand very importantly that he was not minor in importance. His message is as important as any other in the word of God. 
But he's considered minor because of the volume of scripture in which he was led by the Holy Spirit to write. But in this book, Nahum emphasizes the character and the nature of God and God's response to sin. Nahum, like many of the other prophets, sought to warn God's people of the perils of sin, of the pending judgment that results from rebellion against God. And oftentimes, God's people, the nation of Israel, they were going through what I want to call self-inflicted hardships. In other words, the judgment was because of their rejection of the ways of God. But it's important that we understand, within God's judgment being meted out upon his people, invariably, unquestionably, there were righteous people who were also affected by the effects of sin, by the effects of the judgment of God. They also suffered, even though they were doing right, even though they were honoring God, they suffered as a result of God's corporate judgment on the nation. Think of the Babylonian captivity. When God's people were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, we know the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were taken captive to Babylon. These were young boys who were faithful to the things of God and they held on to their faith even when they were in captivity in Babylon. And I say that to say this, that we are currently going through some testing, turbulent, troubling times unlike most of us have seen in our entire lifetime. And during such times as these, it's very easy and common to doubt God and who he is. To doubt his character. To doubt his love for us. But today I want to draw attention to verse number 7. Because in the middle of Nahum chapter 1, a chapter that's primarily describing the judgment of God, his anger at sin, the consequences for the wicked. In the middle of all of that sits this verse where God speaks about himself. And I want us to look at this verse very carefully this morning. And I want to preach a message entitled by way of a question, what kind of God do you have? What kind of God do you have? And I want to give you three things from this verse. Very simple. For those of you who take notes, it's going to be a breeze. Very, very, very easy. I'm hoping that if I ask some of you what was the message about on Sunday, and I ask you on Wednesday or next week, you'll be able to give me the three simple points from verse number seven. What kind of God do you have? Listen, the answer you give to this question is going to determine your mindset and your attitude when we are overwhelmed with the troubles and the tribulations of life. 
We have to rely on who God is. And God gives us a clear picture of who he is in verse number 7. And so I want us to notice, first of all, jot this down, just one word. That God is consistent. Amen. Amen? Now, look at verse number 7. It says, in the first phrase, which can also be a sentence, but it's followed by a comma, the Lord is good. I want everybody to say that, 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 that those few words with me. The Lord is good. Let's say it one more time. The Lord is good. Now, I want to break down this sentence. I want us to look at each and every word because sometimes we say these things and it rolls off like water off a duck's back. Now, it says the. Now, I want us to take a little bit of time and do a little bit of, of an English class this morning. Now, English <laughs> is a language that we all know. Now, Many would tell you that English is one of the most complicated and complex languages that there are on planet Earth. But there is considered, in our language, an article. Okay? An article. Now, an article or articles are words that identify nouns in order to demonstrate whether the noun is specific or non-specific. Some of you are saying, Pastor, interpret what you just said. <laughs> so there is considered, by way of articles, a definite article. So for example, if I say the book is on the pulpit, I'm referring to a specific book because I used the word the. I'm not talking about any old book. I said the book is on the pulpit. Now if I were to say a book is on the pulpit, a is also an article, but it's an indefinite article. It means I means an arbitrary book. A book is on the pulpit. Everybody still with me? I didn't lose you yet. All right, you're still here. All right? So, so when the Bible says the Lord, I want you to understand, the is a definitive article. It's not referring to any old God or any old Lord. It's referring to a specific Lord. So, the is very important in that sentence. The next word is Lord. You will notice in your Bible, it's capital L. Capital O. Capital R. Capital D. That, my friend, is Yahweh. The self-existent one. The eternal one. Listen, this is not any old God. This is not little G-O-D. Listen, this is the one true living God we're referring to. It says, the Lord is, back to English class, is, we know, is in the present tense. When something is in the present tense, 
It describes something that is happening or is the case not yesterday, not tomorrow, but right now. So when we say the place is hot, we're talking about how it feels right now. When we say the food is delicious, we're talking about food that we're eating right now. When we say the weather is lovely, we're talking about the way the weather is right now. Is indicates that it is current. So the Lord is, whatever he's going to be referring to, is happening right now. Let the church say amen. Then it says, the Lord is what? The Lord is good. Good. I went to the dictionary to find out what good means. Not because I don't know, but I was amazed to find out all the words that are synonymous with the word good. Good. Morally excellent. Virtuous. Righteous. Right. Proper. Kind. Friendly. Honorable. Worthy. Genuine. Sound. Reliable. Dependable. Responsible. Not spoiled or tainted. Favorable. And that's just a few. My friend, the Lord is good. So here's what we are to understand when the Bible says the Lord is good. It's present tense. It's right now. We're referring to a specific God. The God of all gods. The king of all kings. And my friend, what we must understand and take away and lodge in our hearts that when times are good, God is good. But when times are bad, God is good. When you have money, God is good. When you are broke, God is still good. When you are healthy, God is good. When you are sick, God is good. When life begins, God is good. When life ends, God is good. When you get a job, God is good. When you lose your job, God is good. When you are happy, God is good. When you are sad, God is good. When you are strong, God is good. When you are weak, God is good. God's goodness is not dependent on our circumstances because God's goodness is his nature. And God's nature does not change because once again, God is good. It will always be his present state. So God is speaking of himself. God says, understand, I am consistent. My character and nature is not dependent and cognizant on what is happening in your life. So God says, let me tell you something about myself. I am good. I'm consistent. But notice the second thing about God, what he says about himself. God says, I'm not only consistent, but I am capable. Amen? Amen. Look back at that verse again. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. 
during Hurricane Hugo that hit Nevis in 1989, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And of course, several islands surrounding. Our family hunkered down in our basement, which was concrete. It was a stronghold as the terrifying and devastating winds were howling all around. And as strong as they were blowing, I personally, as a young teenager, knew and felt that we were safe. Why? We were in a stronghold. This stronghold was capable of withstanding the hurricane-force winds. And here's something that we know and understand about wind. You don't know where it's going to blow from. You don't know how strong it's going to be. Your specific location. You don't know how long those winds are going to last. But here's something else that we know about wind. You simply cannot control it. And that, my friend, is the reason why when the winds of life are howling, we need a stronghold. God is saying to his people, I am a stronghold in difficult times. I'm capable of standing firm when things get tough. I'm a God who is not shaken by hardship. I'm not weakened by strong winds. The terrifying winds of life's problems. When the winds of financial hardship are blowing, my friend, God is a stronghold. When the winds of broken family relationships are blowing, God is a stronghold. When the winds of a pandemic are blowing for over two years, God is still a stronghold. When the winds of failing health are blowing, God is a stronghold. When the winds of the unexpected loss of a loved one are swirling, God is a stronghold. When the winds of disappointment are upon you, God is a stronghold. When the winds of failure overwhelm you, God is a stronghold. God is saying to his people, I'm capable of keeping you safe and secure amidst the storms of life. God is saying to us, I am capable. You can rely on me. This is God speaking of himself. God says, I'm not only consistent in that I am good, but I am a stronghold. And I'm a stronghold, let me help you understand, in the day of trouble. So when we find ourselves in the day of trouble, if ever a time we are to depend on this God, it is then. It is now. God, speaking of himself, says, I'm consistent. I am capable. But notice thirdly and finally, God says something else that struck me in this verse. 
God says, thirdly, I am conscious. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? Now, God says, following the fact that I'm consistent, following the fact that I'm capable, I am conscious. He says, and he knoweth them that trust in him. In other words, God is saying to his people or to all people that I am fully aware of those who trust in me even when things look bleak. He says, I know who I am. I know that I am consistently good. I know that I am capable in any and every circumstance. But I am also conscious of those who trust in me when things don't look so good. He's saying, I know those who only sing my praises when there's money in the bank. I know those who only lift their hands in worship when health is good and when the family is doing well. He's saying, I'm aware of those who believe in me even when the evidence seems to suggest that God is not consistently good, which he is. And when the evidence from a human perspective seems to suggest that God is not capable, God says, I see you. I'm aware of those who trust in me. And believe me, if he's aware of those who trust in him, he's also aware of those who don't trust in him. He says, I'm aware that you say you trust me, but that's only when you can make sense of everything. He says, I see and recognize when you don't trust me when things have not gone your way. You see, my friend, it's important to us for us to distinguish some things. You see, when we suffer disappointment, when we suffer loss, when things don't go our way, God expects us to hurt. God expects us to feel pain. God expects us to cry. God expects us to mourn. After all, we are human. Jesus himself felt pain. He cried. He mourned. He suffered. He was disappointed when those closest to him abandoned him. He cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In his humanity, he suffered. He felt pain. God expects us to cry and mourn when we lose a loved one. 
But here is what God also expects of us. God expects us to still trust him. Because we recognize and understand that he is good. And that's his nature. It does not change. God expects us to trust him because we recognize and understand that he is capable. There is no circumstance that is beyond his capacity to fix or to handle. And if he chooses to allow what he does, he does it in accordance with his divine plan and purpose. So God, while he expects us to hurt, to cry, to mourn, God expects us to trust him and he is consciously aware of those who do and the response by us that rests in his consistency to be good and his capability to handle any situation says God I trust you completely even when I don't understand. Even when I can't figure it out. And God says, and this saying, I am aware of those who trust me and those who don't. You see, my friend, it's easy to praise God in the good times. It's easy to say God is good when everything is in our favor and going good. But God is saying, I'm consistent. I'm good in good and bad times. I am capable. Nothing that happens takes me by surprise. I'm a stronghold. I'm not overwhelmed. And what I allow, I allow for a reason. But from a human perspective, are you still going to trust me? Are you going to rely in my nature and trust in what does not change, that the Lord is good and that the Lord is capable? God says, I'm consistent. I'm capable. But I'm also conscious. I'm watching. I'm aware. I'm aware of those who would say, God, you are a good God, even when the evidence from the human perspective seems to suggest otherwise. God, you're consistent. You're capable. You're conscious. God is saying to all of us, I'm aware. Are you going to trust me? Or are you going to not? These two groups exist. The group that will trust God, come with me. The group that says, God, I don't know about your goodness. I don't know if you're really capable. And the question for us here today Which group 
are you in? Are you in the group that's going to trust God? Or are you in the group that's going to not trust Him? I know that that question is not as simple as it seems because we don't always find ourselves in one group permanently. We have our moments, it seems, depending on whether it hits home, how closely it hits to home. God is saying, my nature has not changed. My ability is without question. But I'm aware that there are some who are going to trust me, come what me. And there are others who just will not. The question is, where do you find yourself? And the larger question is, for the God that you serve, what kind of God is he? Your answer to that question will determine your ability to navigate and handle difficulties of life and to do so with an abiding faith and hope that says God is for me and the Lord is good he's a stronghold in the day of trouble and he's completely aware of those who trust in him and may it be by God's grace that I'm in that number that determines that I will continually trust in him even when I don't understand. Why? Because the Lord is